Hey, folks, I'm Tom. KJ here. You know the drill. We are back to promote the Dunlap Champions Club. They've been a longtime sponsor of Front Row Knowles, and uh, we appreciate that. Uh, and you will appreciate the Champions Club if you have not been there. We've been saying this for a couple of years now, basically since it opened. You need to at least schedule a tour. The season's here. Go in, sample it, find out what you're missing. It is a great place to watch a ball game. Florida State uh, is scheduled for a 5 o'clock kick for their first home game, and I know there may even be some more. So if you want to stay out of the heat, you got that opportunity, as well as food and drink, the ability to get up and move around. It's a great place to watch a contest. It's also a great place to watch other contests because they got lots of TVs. And don't tell anybody I said that because really we want you sitting in the seats watching the FSU game. But uh, you can check on the other games too. For more information, you can call 850-644-1830 to buy tickets or schedule a tour. And now, on with the show. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm better. I am better. Time time heals wounds. And We're one day closer to basketball season? Is that what I hear you saying? Well, kind of. Maybe, sort of. <laughs> hey, it's just week By the two. way, could you pass me that bottle of water? Oh, we're going to go there right off the bat? I'm just saying. Well, that's that's a story that got much bigger than it should have and then got even bigger today uh, as, as Coach Taggart addressed it again. We have – this is where we are. We have reached the point – well, and this happens for any team. If you, when you lose and people feel that you're not playing up to your capabilities, everything becomes a reason or an issue. You should have had a defensive guy in the box. You should drink more water. You should be in better shape. You, I mean, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. They're all, and they all get traction because if the result on the scoreboard is what it is, people. I was thinking about it this way though. So, uh, the end of the the Bowden era. We had the 50% of the teams lose every week, which went over real well. Not well. (laughs) Then the start of the Jimbo era, and remember, year two of the Jimbo era was the year when Jimbo explained to us that he has the receivers work on dropping the ball if they can't get out of the sideline to stop the clock in an endgame situation, a la Burt Reed against Virginia, that they practiced that. That was year two. But Jimbo's mantra early on was, y'all too focused, and that was another of his problems. He said, y'all, not we. But uh, you're too focused on results and not about process. And now we have Willie who said, you just got to give me time, stick with it after the game. And it doesn't matter how you communicate the message. The scoreboard says what the scoreboard says, so nobody's going to be happy about it. One game does not a season define. Yes, we're aware of that. Right. So, I mean, you can you can say it however you want. You can not say anything. You can be stern. You can be nice. At the end of the day, people have angst because of what they saw on the field. Now, I will say this, and this has been pointed out. If I'd have told you on Friday that Boise was going to win 36-31, you would have been disappointed, but you'd have said, well, at least we're going to score some points. But when you go out and you blow the lead... Because of did, the way it unfolded. Because of the way it unfolded, that totally ratcheted things up. Because I think without the emotion, to me... And we'll see how this turns out. But Boise may well be a better team than what Virginia Tech was last year. I don't. I personally don't think there's any doubt based on what I saw. And Virginia Tech boat raced Florida State last year. And this game, 
there was there was progress, not on the defensive side of the ball, but there was progress other places. So that said, time will tell. And to me, it's still the million-dollar question. I asked it. We talked about it. You wanted to see it, not hear it. I wanted to see how they responded to adversity. adversity. And I actually think that the first time there was adversity in that game, they responded. It was when it got tightened up to like 24-13 or whatever, and boom, 58-yard touchdown to Helton. And I thought, okay, they got a little moxie. But then clearly we saw what happened in the second half. They they tightened up and didn't know how to win. I'm, I'm talking a lot, so why don't you take the mic? I'm just I, I was ranting and raving about special teams and that they've got this little thing called the fair catch, and you can fair catch a kickoff when the ball comes out to the 25. And by jingo, they did it. And according to Coach Taggart, they tell them ahead of time what to do or not to do. It wasn't based on a player's decision. Okay, way to go. I've got a new mantra. Okay, you and I were talking about this before we went on the air. Just be quiet. Just be quiet. Don't address it. Don't bring it up again and let it go away. You're talking about the Watergate or whatever. Yeah. Pick a topic. Well, it's sort of the news cycle is 24 hours. And it's been 24 hours, so that story's going away until you finish Unless the you bring down. it back up. Yeah. The kickoffs, I, I was happy to see. Corey Clark's on a rant, by the way, if you've been listening to Corey, that now he's upset that they're they're calling too many fair catches. Well, Corey can't be pleased. So I, rec- I recall what last year looked like, and I'm perfectly good with just taking the fair catch and taking the ball at the 25. When we fix all our other problems, then we can go back and say, let's bring the kickoff back. Um, this was one thing that dismayed me in the game, and it was when things were going well. And I understand why he did it, because he's a young player, was highly touted, had never made a play. But Warren Thompson caught that pass and got tackled at the two-yard line, that long, whatever it was, and got up and completely jawed with the DB that he beat, to the point that the official gave him a warning, and he was lucky he didn't get a 15-yard penalty. And so it speaks to the act like you've been there before. And I know this is your part of the show, not my part of the show, Keith, but I'm taking it right here. But the reality is Warren Thompson had not been there before, and that's how he behaved. So I fast forward to the second half, and who on this team has had an 18-point lead in a game in their college careers? Maybe some of the seniors, if we look back at the 2016 season, maybe? Miami. Miami last year. And how did they handle that? So let me let me rephrase. Who's had an 18-point lead and, and closed it out? Which is your point. Yeah. Yeah, so act like you've been there before. They have it, and you can dismiss it as coach speak, and we got to learn how to win. It's unbelievably important. It, it comes down to confidence and beliefs, yes. and they're yes. lacking in that because everything they do, and it's been this way for a couple of years, they don't think it will work. Here's what's going to happen right. if I do it right. They think here's what's going to happen if I don't do it right or I do it wrong. And so you're a, you're a half step slower. You just don't have complete conviction of it. They may be off social media, but what fans are saying filters their way their way too. Um, it's human nature. But but that and and this the media laughed this off when Jimbo said it, and may laugh it off now. The 2013 team when it started rolling, and maybe even at the time in 2012. He pointed out that it was a big deal that FSU won an ACC title and won the Orange Bowl, even if it was over Northern Illinois. And he would have said if it was over Godby High School. The point was they needed to believe they could win and do something. And really, 
that's the same point now when you talk about guys need to learn how to win. They need that confidence. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I, I I said, you and I were talking after the ball game. it's all above the shoulders right now. There's not a question about scheme. Um, I, I would challenge Willie in the statements that his defensive line – you know, didn't line up. I think they lined up fine. I just don't think they performed. And even if they did, even if you do line up incorrectly, if you want to, you can still make a play. <laughs> it's not, you know, you you can do that. Um, I think I think that everything is above the shoulders, and I think this staff needs to double down in terms of working together and talking to the kids and with the kids about what this this what about what aspect this process means this part of the process you know how how do you react when you go in at halftime you've got to exhale you've got to hydrate you got to make adjustments but then when you come back out that tunnel you got to turn that switch back on you got to recapture that same feeling you had before kickoff i think this goes to leadership or lack of again and, you know, the vocal guy, James Blackman's very vocal. He's a redshirt sophomore. It's his second year starting, but he wasn't the starter last year. Uh, the most vocal offensive lineman I saw was Dante Lucas. And he's a freshman. He's a true freshman. Asante Samuel, I guess he's the second, right? I mix up he and Stanford. It's Asante Samuel the second and Stanford the third, correct? I think that's correct. Asante was pretty vocal there, but Asante is a corner you know, he he literally is on an island, and we'll get into the zone defense. And he can't talk to the linebackers or linemen during a series. But that's what he was. Yeah, but on the sideline, he was trying to correct. I need you, dog. That kind of stuff. To the, um, so I think there's still a void, and it, and it is a young team. But I think that shows up when you come out for the second half, and you're as flat as they were. Uh, and I, you know, you can put it on the coaches. You can put it on at some at some point. We got to put it on the players too, to, or, or or you know, to police themselves. And so correct, correct me. You you studied that 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 play call and playlist a little bit when they came out in the second half the defense had three series in which Boise only had three or four plays there were two three and outs and maybe yeah, one, basically four, we plays. traded punts for a little while so the defense did hold its own for a little bit and but that, the offense didn't widen the lead exactly. now that's the period where the cam Akers fumble happens exactly and that goes back to and we, we you know for all the negativity associated with Jimbo, no one ever questioned his knowledge of football and his processing of X's and O's. And, and what are the two most important series in a football game? Well, yeah, he always talked about it. The, the end of the first half and the start of the second. Well, he talked about four periods, which was basically the start of the game, the end of the second quarter, start of the third period, and then your four-minute offense to end a game if yeah, you need it. But, but that second half and be, second quarter and beginning of the third quarter, I would say – He's not here to ask, but if you rank them, those were four very important ones, but those might be two of the most important ones. The going into and coming out of half, considering that Boise took the football at the start of the game and deferred, and the way the offense had played in the first half, to to not to allow Boise to score points at the end of the second quarter and then not to do something early on, that was significant because either of those points are probably the breaking point for Boise if you took that with two and a half minutes left in the second quarter and put another seven on the board or did it to start the third quarter, the game's probably over. And, and here's a simple thing, and I'm not a coach. I've just seen it, so I didn't create this on my own. But some coaches during practice will immediately call for two-minute two offense, even if it's in the middle of the 13th period and it's not scheduled anywhere. 
they immediately call for two-minute offense. You can do the same thing with halftime, okay? We're in the middle of period number 11. Gentlemen, we just came out of halftime. Line it up. Right. Let's go. You, right. you try emphasize, to repli- you emphasize and try replicate. You try to replicate what you're trying to accomplish, and we do that in the. Two- Everybody understands the two minute drill. We've all had that ingrained in us. Jimbo mentioned the four minute drill. That those teams had. Now let's let's work on halftime. We've just come out at halftime. Right. Let's start over. Put the it's, ball down, coaches. Let's go. It's situational football, if you will. Exactly. It's the same as saying you're on the left hash at the twenty seven, and here's how much time. All that stuff. The end result was the end result. We're here with an, another extended therapy session, so we'll get into this. Patrick Burnham from the Osceola will join us. Very good on the technical side and the X and O side, so we'll, we'll get into some of this a little bit more. He it's intimidates ha- me. Have you this? Hall of Fame. He intimidates me. Have you noticed this? He, he's smarter than I am. I don't well, like that. Well, and you're getting older and more frail. I mean, it's just happening, Keith. This is – anyway – it's FSU Hall of Fame week. We'll talk uh, about the Hall of Famers. Uh, interesting conversation coming up a little bit later in the show. I, I did want to. I also did think about this because there's been a lot of talk about FSU needs to stop opening with tough opponents, and you can have that conversation. You can have it, but I just want to point out, folks, that on the heels of opening with Ole Miss and Alabama and Virginia Tech and now Boise State, Florida State opens with West Virginia next year in a neutral site bowl game in Atlanta. Then in 21, they open on Monday night, Labor Day night against Notre Dame here. And in 22 and 23, not officially announced, they open with LSU. And in 24, they open with Notre Dame again, I'm pretty sure. So that problem is not going away. Now, you can say, you can have a conversation and say, after that, we need to play the one double A, excuse me, the uh, FCS or whatever it is. But that problem's not changing. There's a better chance that the NCAA will change the rules and allow a week zero game so you can get and somebody. maybe you'll slip somebody in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. So you know what makes you feel better at times like this? Madison Social. And Keith. What have they come up with now? Well, next Tuesday night is uh, Friends Trivia Night. So apparently it's such a hit. And, uh, you know, Friends was after you anyway, though. And probably before. I know t- the show. Okay. Well, I, I'm a big Rachel fan. I'm not going to go be on your trivia team, but next Tuesday night, Trivia Night at, uh, at Madso. Um, this weekend, the Friday night block party resumes. Ray Fulcher. Named after our one and only. Exactly. Exactly. Ray Fulcher from Harlem, the performer, Harlem, Georgia, that is. So, uh, I assume it's a country act Friday night, Friday night block party. I would assume so as well. All right. We'll take a break. Come back, get more into the football game. This is front row Knowles. Cornerstone Tool and Fastener and Makita welcome back football season. And to kick it off, we are bringing the best deals of the year. Buy a brushless premium Makita 5-amp hour kit, get an instant $50 gift rebate and your choice of another bare tool free. Plus, we are adding in another 5-amp battery for free. That's three batteries and three tools. Check out our specials on cordless blowers, chainsaws, compressors, and so much more. Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, 1110 Stuckey Ave in Tallahassee and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Tallahassee location open Saturdays, 8 a.m. to Online at ctf.nu. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. All 
Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you, and it is time to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to our friend Patrick Burnham from the Osceola. How are you, Pat? Great, Tom. How about you guys? Doing well. You can get uh, all the uh, Florida State info you want at theosceola.com, devoted to FSU sports and fan experiences. That said, boy, did the fans have an experience this past weekend, Pat. It was, uh, I don't know that I can ever recall a game. I'm sure there had, well, I guess in opposite fashion, the choke at Doak would go down as one that was positively miserable for one half and positively uh, the, the other way for the other. That's about the only one I can think of. But boy, this this was a tale of two halves. As you've, you know, processed it 72 hour, hours later, what's your kind of one paragraph synopsis of, of where we are right now? Well, I think you saw some uh, things of what could come from an offense that was highly explosive in the first half. And uh, you're right, it was a tell of two halves. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times all in one game. Uh, you know, clearly the big play was back in the first half, and all the ans- all the questions were answered about FSU's ability to get to the passer in the 3-4 defense. They certainly had a successful blitz package. Um, and then, of course, in the second half, uh, you know, some of the shortcomings uh, showed up for the offense and the defense. They were not able to slow down Boise State's rush game, uh, rushing game, all really all game long. And, of course, you know, Boise State had a little bit more success in the second half getting to James Blackman and putting some pressure on him and, you know, keeping him off balance. And I think that affected the uh, outcome of the game as far as what they, you know, FSU being able to be productive and they were not able to get the running game established as well in the second half as they were the first and uh you know you got to give credit as we talked about earlier you got to give some credit to boise state they are a good football team and they didn't come in here and they you know they came in here and played hard and uh well coached football team and uh, proved themselves to be as good as their reputation was Pat, Tom, and I have talked in the first half. We talked before, uh, first segment, rather, and we talked before we went on the air that, you know, our our judgment is a whole bunch of the issues are above the shoulders, i.e. very, very easily correctable relative to what you see and how you process information and, and what do you do emotionally, particularly as you come out in the second half. Uh, agree, disagree, different take? Uh, I, I agree. I mean, you know, FSU, and I talked with Mark Salva about this, uh, who's on the podcast you had mentioned, uh, with on the Osceola. And, you know, FSU's got some talented football players. I don't, I mean, they are talented and, you know, they should be going to a bowl game this year. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And because, you know, I think the transition to the 3 4 defense and most of the weaknesses were exposed were on the defensive side of the ball more so than the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, it takes some time to learn how to play in that defense. And I think that there will be substantial improvement as they go along, or there needs to be. But I think some of it is just getting in there and knowing what gap you're supposed to be in and staying in that gap and freeing up the linebackers and linebackers being more aggressive and attacking the line scrimmage. So, yes, I think there's something to be said for that. And, you know, uh, there's an old football adage, as you guys well know, that you don't ever make as much improvement as you do from week one to week two. And, you know, Obviously, we know what the shortcomings are. The coaching staff knows what the shortcomings are. And, you know, I think that we'll see some of those uh, get corrected right away. And then, of course, you know, we'll we'll see what we know after this week going into Virginia. The concern, Pat, is that the opposition knows what the shortcomings are, too. And so, I, you know, like just to the, the first half to the second half offensively, 
it, it just seems like it, you know, Boise kind of figured out this is what Florida State has and can do, and now we're going to make some adjustments and take these things away. Is that fair, or did Florida State relax, uh, change things up, just get out of rhythm, out of sync, that sort of thing? Well, uh, you know, it's funny that you ask because Kendall addressed most of those things yesterday in, in his press conference, uh, or when he met with the media before practice yesterday. Uh, first of all, he just, I asked him specifically, did Boise do anything defensively in the second half that surprised him that they did not do in the first half? And his answer was no, as far as nothing major. Now, I'm sure they made some uh, minor tweaks. And, you know, from my perspective, what they did was they made sure they made real sure they did not get beat deep anymore. I mean, that they took the deep ball out of the equation and they played uh, really good zone defense uh, too deep and they really supported the run well. Uh, but nothing major there. And Kendall did allude to the fact that, you know, maybe one of the things Florida State has not learned to do yet is close and finish, and that there might have been some, hey, this was really easy. We scored on five of our first six possessions. This is going to be how it is the whole game. And, you know, Boise State is not the kind of football team that you can relax on. They have just won too many ball games and are too well coached to do that. But I think it's probably a combination of things. I mean, you know, I can. I jokingly said at halftime uh, that they are going to uh, start to erect a statue of Kendall Brown somewhere on campus. I mean, the big play was back, a 75-yard touchdown, a 38-yard touchdown. I mean, I think everybody went into that halftime uh, thinking, feeling pretty good about FSU football. So I think it's. I think it's two of both of those things, Tom. Well, they get another chance this week. It occurs to me we haven't made this uh, public service announcement yet. Yet this game is only available on the ACC network five o'clock Saturday against Louisiana Monroe. So you better buy a ticket or uh, cut the cord and change carriers because there's no deal uh, with Comcast yet that that uh, I'm aware of. What what are we going to learn this? I mean, is there anything that they can do this week that's going to make any of us feel better? I guess if they went out and they win fifty to seven, we might feel better. But it really doesn't answer any of the questions relative to caliber of competition. Well, no, I mean, there's 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 favorite in this game and they should be Louisiana Monroe uh, you know family you would think and you know I think you'll I think you could see some improvement and you know you want uh, Louisiana Monroe ran the ball very effectively last week they ran for 314 yards so you know they're going to come in here and try to run the ball so you will get to see whether your defense has improved you know on a whether it's alignment that coach Taggart mentioned or responsibility and gap integrity and you know, playing downhill with the inside linebackers and forcing contain or uh, with the outside linebackers. So I think, yeah, there's some things that you'll learn, but, you know, we're not going to really know anything unless unless things go badly would be the only thing that we, and I don't expect that to happen, but let me clarify that right now. But I don't, you know, this should be a game where you can get more fundamentally and technically sound in that system, uh, but you will they will try to run the ball, so we will learn a little bit more about the run defense. But I think you're right. Uh, I think the next time we'll be able to get a good measuring stick for where Florida State is as a program will be at Virginia in a week and a half. Pat, one last thing. Going back to last week, uh, Florida State defense was unable to get off the field in third down. I think uh, I think Boise was 11 of 20 or something of that nature on third down plays. The majority of those plays, however, Florida State was in zone. And this is a team that, for whatever reason, and, and this is going back even to last year, they they don't play zone very well. Is that an easy fix? You just 
you know, go to man with some safeties over the top, or or is that something to be really concerned about? Well, I think I, I think part of the reason they did that is because Boise State was having uh, a lot of success in the run game. It seemed like they did play a little press man coverage early in the game. Uh, could be wrong about that, but I do think they played a little man early, and I think uh, they started putting. You know, they got had a lot of success in five man pressure, and I feel like they felt like they had. The, they could cover the field more effectively with five and six man pressures with our with zone coverage, and they were playing some three under three deep. And uh, you know, I think they felt like they needed help in the run game, and so obviously playing zone allows the corners to be a little bit more involved in run support. And uh, that's that's why I think they probably did as much play as much zone as they did uh, without actually you know being in the meetings. But uh, you know, I think that. With anything, again, it's that you know the second the defense is new to the secondary too, and I think with repetition and more experience in that defense and what they're trying to do, that you will see improvement in that as well. We're talking with Pat Burnham from the Osceola. Pat, it was pointed out, and you're the one who did so before the game when you saw the flip card that Florida State did not have a defensive coach in the box, and then. 600 yards happened and so that question has been addressed and and uh and willie said that there, there, he didn't say what the plan was but today he said there's a plan and you'll find out on saturday but you did a little reconnaissance on this uh i i guess to find out how common or uncommon that is so what did you find i know you detailed this on the osceola yeah uh you know it caught my attention just because i had never seen it before in the 10 years i was involved in college football and uh you know, as I said, if they played like the '85 Bears against Boise State, this is a non this is a non story, or we wouldn't even be talking about it. But the fact of the matter is, they did get up 600 yards. So you, you know, you start to question how that happened and why, and try to, you know, could this have helped or could that have helped? And so the more I thought about it, the more I wanted to find out. So I contacted ultimately about 10 college coaches, and uh, you know, told them exactly you know, why I was trying to find out, hey, I'm just interested, I'm just curious if you've ever seen this. And uh, to a man, none of them had ever been on a staff where there was not at least one full-time coach uh, on each side of the ball in the press box. And that doesn't make it wrong. And they, they were not saying that. Uh, we were just, you know, I was just pointing out that I had not seen it and I wanted to verify and see if anybody else had. And they had not. And, you know, it may very well be what this, version of Florida State's defense needs that but with the three four maybe all the position coaches do need to be on the field looking in the players eyes uh helping make adjustments from the field but uh again no one in my experience and no one that I talked to which is now 10 coaches I had ever seen that but again uh, no one was passing judgment it was more of hey that's interesting I've never seen that done before and I want to find out if anybody else does it but uh yeah it, it definitely stood out to me and you know, a lot of times you, you mentioned the coaches being able to interact with the players. I remember, uh, I think it was maybe when Jimbo was a coordinator, he was in the box initially. And then at one point, I forget what the quarterback situation was, he decided to be better to come down and interact with them directly. And so you do make those changes for those sort of reasons. But you have to ask yourself, is there more value in that or more value in having the eyes in the sky or, or you know, who's your GA and is he good enough to handle what you what you need? Well, we'll see what their plan is this week. Go ahead, Pat. Oh, I was just going to say that's exactly right, and I don't. And nobody knows what they're asking of the people in the box. Uh, everywhere I have been, there's the full-time coach in the box has always been up there to help make corrections and suggestions on specific players and specific schemes, and to let the you know let the co- 
coaches on the field know, hey, this is what they're trying to do in this situation, and this is what they're doing to us in that situation. So, again, uh, it, you know, we really have no idea what they're asking of the people in the box for this particular team. But, uh, again, in my experience, you know, that's what I have seen happen. Pat, great insight as always. Really good information there. We can uh, look forward to conversations with you throughout the football season of Bob Franny and the rest of the Osceola staff. So keep up the good work. All right, Tom. Keith, enjoyed it as always, and we'll see you guys on Saturday. See you, Pat. Pat Burnham from the Osceola.com. You can subscribe for six ninety five a month. Try a seven day free trial to check it out if you want as well. By the way, he mentioned he mentioned in passing that they did a podcast this week. Mark Salva is a former FSU center, GA offensive line coach at South Carolina, and the Osceola has uh, got him on board. I think they're doing weekly podcasts with Pat and Jerry Kutz and, and Mark to kind of break down um, what's going on. So that, that'll be good insight. That's available on the Osceola.com as well. You know, it's interesting. The NCAA, to my knowledge, I should research this before I say it, but I'm pretty sure I'm accurate. The NCAA limits, A, the number of people that can be on headsets during a game, and B, a lesser number that can talk. Isn't that asinine? Well, it got passed a couple years ago, if memory serves, in light of the fact that, I don't want to put it squarely on Alabama, but I feel like they had 48 guys that were on headset because they have so many consultants, and so they set a limit of 26 or whatever. I don't know what the number is. I think it's 16, but don't again, don't quote me on that. But of the 16, I think only 12 of them can talk or something. That's just asinine. Yeah. Well, yeah, we can't put of all the problems we got right now. That ain't one of them. (laughs) But we can't put a speaker in the quarterback's helmet where he can be talked to like they do it. But but do you know what that is about? That's about supposedly about cost. It's about cost because that's BS. Because in the SEC, they would have helmets that have the audio transmitter twelve deep. And in other leagues, Power Five, they'd struggle to get three deep, and then you have other programs that would struggle to get one deep. Well, just swap the helmet out. <laughs> I'm just, you know, get you some uh, free plug for Bose. Get you some Bose wireless earbuds in there and see if they work. Probably not with all the interference. We'll take a break, come back. We're just identifying problems as usual, not solving any of them, but this is Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. We are back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ. We're going to step aside from the Florida State Current football talk for just a little bit. This is Hall of Fame weekend. That uh, always takes place the Friday night before the first home football game. I realize we played at home last week. That was last minute. So ceremonies this weekend. We'll tell you about the rest of the uh, inductees or honorees in a little bit. But one of them is a guy that uh, is a former teammate of, uh, of one Keith Jones, and that is Rick Stockstill, who was the Florida State quarterback for uh, for several years, including 1980 and 1981. He's the longtime head coach of Middle Tennessee State. And this is a game week, so we really appreciate a few minutes of your time. Coach, thanks for joining us, and congratulations to you. What's that honor mean when you think Florida State Hall of Famer? Well, first of all, Keith, thanks for having me on. And then, you know, just 
one, I'm very humbled and very appreciative of it. And, you know, there's no way I would be there without, you know, guys like you and my other teammates. And just, uh, you know, back in that time, you know, when we played, that uh, how close we were as a team. Uh, I, I believe that's why we had the success that we had. So I'm very humbled by it, Keith, and just honored and appreciative. Rick, uh, year 14 at Middle Tennessee State. Uh, when you took that job, did you think you'd be there that long? No, you know, I don't think, Keith, when you get in this profession, as volatile as it is, that I don't think anybody thinks they're going to be at any place, whether a head coach or an assistant, you know, that long anymore. But, uh, you know, I'd hope to be able to stay this long, uh, but, I don't think when I accepted the job that I said, you know, I'll be here for, you know, this amount of time. But again, we've, you know, we've had a lot of success and had a lot of good coaches through here and a lot of good players and was fortunate to be, you know, in this position. And I, you know, I'm thankful for it every day. For those of our listeners that are, that are aware, uh, they'll remember that Rick was from Ferdinand Beach. And, and, and Stock, I never asked you this question. What, what was your recruitment like? Uh, how, how did you get to Tallahassee? <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was Florida State or nowhere. You know, I think Troy, you know, was, you know, I don't even know if they called back then. If they just sent letters. But, you know, Florida State was really the only Division One offer that I had. So it wasn't like I had a lot of choices. And, uh, you know, just, again, just so thankful for that opportunity to play for Coach Bowden and, know how he ran his program and developed his program and just uh, you know we moved to Fernandina my summer of my junior year of high school from Kentucky so I went to Florida State's camp uh, going into my senior year and camps back then aren't what they are now and uh, you know I was there for three or four days and you know must have done something and you know Coach Stanton recruited me and uh, and then I went up there for my visit in, in December after the high school season, and Coach Bowden offered me, and, and I don't think commit was a word back then. I don't think we committed. I think we just said we were coming. And, uh, you know, so I was very fortunate and thankful for that opportunity. We talk with uh, today about kids and playing time, and as a head coach, you know that you know discipline is different than it was back in the day, and PT becomes a part of the issue. You show up to Florida State, and the the two kids ahead of you are one Jimmy Jordan and Wally Woodham. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and, and I was you know you, you look back on it, and you know two great players, two great friends, and just you know you learn a lot by. You know, watching guys in front of you, and you know, I I got to spend three years on the scout team, getting my head beat in by guys like you and you know Monk and all those other guys, Paul and Reggie, and you know, but uh, you know, it was a great learning experience, and you know, uh, never once did any of us think back then that you know it's not going my way. I'm going to transfer. I'm going to put my name in the a transfer portal and all that kind of stuff. We learned how to fight through adversity, overcome adversity. And, you know, uh, you know, it's, uh, we, again, I, I just talk about you guys, my teammates, our teammates and, uh, how close we were and accountable to each other. And, 
you know, we, we played the game for each other. We didn't play it for ourselves. And, uh, it was really a special time back then. It, it really was. Uh, although I will correct you, Reggie did go to the bus stop one time. Uh, he considered that <laughs> he considered that the transfer portal, Greyhound. <laughs> The Greyhound portal. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking with Rick Stock still uh, going in the FSU Hall of Fame this week, current uh, head coach at Middle Tennessee State, and in the middle of a game week. So thank you for a few minutes. You guys have Tennessee State on Saturday night at 7. I'm, I'm curious. So the, the comment you just made, I mean, a, a lot of that's attributable to Coach Bowden in Florida State, but really it's a generational thing. Uh, you know, uh, football players and just kind of our society – in that time period compared to now. So how do you balance that when the reality is that kids do go to the transfer portal and, and uh, you know, maybe they're not as tough and uh, there's not as much stick to Is that a KJ term? Is there a Wildwood to, term as there used to be? Yeah. You know, Keith, you're right. And, uh, you know, I try to coach, you know, I, I've been fortunate. I, you know, I coached with, with Lou Holtz. I coached with Steve Spurrier, Danny Ford, you know, guys who have won national championships and, I try to coach more like Coach Bowden and treat our players like Coach treated us and what he demanded from us uh, more than any of those guys. And, you know, I coach everybody the same. And, uh, you know, I tell, I mean, I'm not going to talk somebody out of going into the portal, you know. And to me is if they don't want to fight, you know, I'm second team. I'm not the starter. I'm third team. I'm not getting to play much. If they don't want to fight through that and compete through that, then why I really don't want them to play because in a critical situation in the fourth down, you know you don't know how tough they're going to be both mentally and physically to fight through that you know that situation or that adversity. So, you know if if that's what they want to do, you know we'll find somebody else out there in America that wants to to fight and compete and play hard for this school and. And, and, and it's more important to, you know, we we all wanted to play good and win because we didn't want to let Coach Bowden down, right? That is and, correct. You know, that is correct. For Florida State and our teammates, it wasn't about, you know, how many tackles or interceptions you got or how many passes, you know, I complete, whatever. It was about whatever it took to win the game, and that's all we cared about. And, and that's what I've tried to establish here. And uh, if a guy wants to leave because, you know, he's not playing enough, you know, more power to you, I'll go find somebody else. Rick, a lot of conversation uh, amongst college football these days about scheduling and how to schedule. For those of our fans that aren't aware, um, you guys had a, oh, I don't know, a little game last weekend in a small place that doesn't seat very many. Um, okay. uh what was traveling to Michigan really like as a as a head coach? You know, you know, Keith, that was a that's the first time I'd ever played there or coached there. And what a what a unique place. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but only as a fan. You know, just you know, you're going into the game and all the SEC stadiums I've been to, the ACC, uh, you know, the amount of tailgating and the pageantry. You know, we make a turn here to go to the stadium and there's 25,000 tents. You make another turn, there's 20,000 tents. And, you know, pregame warm-ups an hour before the game, there's probably 60, 70,000 people in the stadium. So it was a really, really cool experience. And then, you know, the tunnel, you know, walking into the locker room where both of us go, you know, just the, 
amount of Michigan players that have played there, the great Michigan players, the you know the visiting team players that have walked down that tunnel. It was pretty, it's pretty neat, you know. And we play three Power Fives every year. And, uh, we got Iowa in a couple weeks. We got Duke next week. We've been to Alabama, LSU, and I've tried to. I've always wanted to play Florida State, but they never have been able to work it out. Uh, but no, it's uh, that was really a neat and unique experience. Rick, I don't know about you, but uh, I'll just ask the ask the question: How many times have you closed your eyes and replayed that two point conversion in Miami, and how wide open Phil was if 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 that ball had just had a little air under it or gone one way or the other? Man, how all of our college careers might have changed down in the Orange Bowl. You know, the only time I really think of that one, Keith, is, you know, when I see Miami on TV or Miami and Florida State playing or, you know, somebody brings it up. Uh, but, you know, what a great year that was and, you know, what a fantastic defense we had, you know, that whole year. And, you know, now that I'm a coach and you look back on it, you know, had we won that game, you know, how different it could have been, you know, we had Nebraska the next week and then Pitt the week after that. Uh, you never know. You know, I probably think of the Orange Bowl uh, probably a little bit more because we all felt, you know, who we played, you know, Pitt, Nebraska, you know, Florida, everybody we played that year then beating Oklahoma – in the Orange Bowl, had we beat them, you know, our record, who we played, you know, was to me obviously a lot harder than what Georgia played that year. And had we won, we might have, you know, they had co-champions back then sometimes. So we might have snuck in there. But, you know, I, I think about that game and that year and how special it was to, to be able to, you know, experience what we experienced, you know, with each other just how hard we play, you know, for each other. And that's what stands out to me more than any one particular game or one particular play. Well, it was certainly a tight-knit group, and, and it was tight-knit offense to defense, defense to offense. I mean, we even got along with the kickers, with with uh, Ron and, and Billy. Um, it was a special time, Rick, and I, I am absolutely thrilled that you're being honored and recognized uh, with the Hall of Fame induction. It's well-earned, and, and we are so proud of what you've been able to accomplish at uh, MTSU, and we continue to to cheer for you, even though you may not necessarily hear us all the time. We're, <laughs> we're in the background pulling for you, brother. Well, I, I appreciate you, Keith, and you know I love you and I respect you, and just uh, I'm very, like I said, I'm very humbled, and I'm uh, sincerely appreciative and humbled by this, and I'm just looking forward, probably as much as anything, is that of seeing you know your old teammates and buddies that that you don't get a chance. When I was at Clemson and we played Florida State every year, I got to see you guys, you know, more often, uh, but not as much now. So I'm just, like I said, Keith, I'm just very, very humbled by it. And thank you for your friendship. And and I just uh, appreciate you guys so much. Love you, brother. Have a good one. Appreciate it. Love you, Keith. All right. Thank you, Coach. Rick Stockstill from Middle Tennessee State carved out – 10 or 15 minutes of his time in the middle of a game week. So we, we appreciate that. 
And, uh, you know, that Rolodex of yours comes in handy now and then. Every now and then. Okay, one thing about Stock that is just remarkable. He talks about that three years that he, he literally was on the scout team playing behind um, uh, Jimmy and Wally. And when he became the starter as a, as a redshirt junior, uh, he, his confidence, um, his, everybody knew Stock was a teammate. There was nothing about him. He didn't want any glory. He didn't want any attention. He was there to literally to facilitate. And we didn't really think about it at the time, but I've talked with Monk before he passed away and, and Reggie and Paul occasionally. You just kind of knew Stock was going to go into coaching. And and for him to be in his 14th year as the head coach at MTSU is just remarkable. Took them to a bowl game, won the first bowl game in their history as a university. As mentioned, if you didn't pick up on it, he took his team into the big house last weekend, Ann Arbor, oh, Lake I, Michigan. If it wasn't a game week, I had I wanted to ask him if a if Harbaugh was wearing khakis. I'm sure it was, <laughs> and b what exactly that pregame conversation was like. Maybe another time. Yeah, but uh, to go up there and and show well, I think they did. They obviously they lost the ball game. I think the final score was forty to fourteen. I believe forty to twenty one. Don't short them. Don't short. Okay, forty to twenty one. Thank you very much. Uh, represented well and uh, just a, just a quality quality guy. Can't can't say enough good things about the Rick Stockstill that I know. Yeah, and he goes into the Hall of Fame this week. So he he played for Bobby, and then he mentioned he's he coached with Spurrier, Danny Ford, and Lou Holtz. That's a pretty good list, by the way. And we didn't have time to ask him this, but he also coached uh, had Manny Diaz on his staff one year. That is correct. Uh, but uh, again, we sort of ran out of time there, so I didn't I didn't get into that. But uh, obviously, a lot of connections there as well. Good job. All right, we'll uh, we'll take a break. The other hall, I guess we should mention the other Hall of Famer, should we not? I mean, it, it's not just the Rick Stockstill Hall of Fame this week. Certain baseball coaches going in uh, to the Hall of Fame. Do you know who that might be? I, I think he wears one plus one. Yes, uh, Mike Martin Sr. going in. Mickey Dillard, former FSU basketball player. Susan Kiken was a great cross-country runner here, distance runner for Florida State. Dick Nichols uh, is being honored, a second baseman and outfielder for the Knowles in the in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, of course, Rick Stockstill. Carolyn Westrup was a was a great golfer. Phenomenal golfer. And she, too, is uh, being honored. Congratulations to all the Hall of Famers. We will uh, step aside, come back, and wrap things up on Front Row Knowles. Cornerstone Tool and Fastener and Makita welcome back football season. And to kick it off, we are bringing the best deals of the year. Buy a brushless premium Makita 5-amp hour kit, get an instant $50 gift rebate and your choice of another bare tool free. Plus, we are adding in another 5-amp battery for free. That's three batteries and three tools. Check out our specials on cordless blowers, chainsaws, compressors, and so much more. Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, 1110 Stuckey Ave in Tallahassee and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Tallahassee location open Saturdays, 8 a.m. to Online at ctf.nu. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Really good conversation with Rick Stockstill. Uh, Keith, appreciate your... You, you came in handy. Every now and then. Every now and then. Every now and then. Kind of like the fine folks at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Tom, do you know what DIY stands for? 
do-it-yourself? Yeah, well, if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go to Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stucky Ave and 3269 Crawford Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. For all of your DIY project needs. You're, you're not that handy around the house, are you? No. Your dad, on the other hand, was absolutely well, unbelievable. my dad, and I, I miss you, passed away a few years ago. Uh, he was handy. He was not one to read directions, however. So generally... <laughs> It, it was in, truly do it yourself. It involved getting halfway into a project and then having to undo it, read the fine print, and figure out, okay, here's where I went wrong. Well, I'll tell you the one thing about your dad, a hundred things that, that are, are positive. But the one thing I always remember about your dad is that is the most immaculate dadgum garage I'd ever seen in my life. He, uh, in his uh, retired days, uh, you know, near the end, he had a I'll clean your garage business. Which I could use him right now if, I could too. if he'd want to come back. And he, act, I could too. He liked doing that kind of stuff. Good for him. So, Warhawks. Is yeah, that what they're called? Louisiana Monroe, 5 o'clock this week. Mentioned earlier in the show, games uh, only on ACC Network. So if you don't have it, you better get a ticket to go to the game or cut the cord or find a friend or, or whatever you have to do. Um, yeah, I don't think we need to talk a lot about Louisiana Monroe. Florida State played them a couple years ago. They got bowl eligible in 2017. Beating played them, them twice in played the series, 20, I think. Yeah, they played him 2011 and then 2017, which was uh, Odell Hagan's first game as interim coach. They run the footballs, we heard Pat Burnham say. I think they've got a couple of key guys suspended or out this week. Florida State should win this football game. Florida State should look better in so doing. That said, we, thought, it, we thought that a year ago when, when Samford came to town and it took a fourth quarter rally and pick six to seal that game. So is it fair to say that this game is more about winning and losing, or is it more about a beauty contest? Well, I think it's the former because you have to win it. And no matter how beautiful it is, nobody's going to put much stock in it because you've got to go on the road the next week to Virginia. And for those of you who haven't been listening to Front Row Knowles over the summer, uh, one Mr. Tom Block believes that that particular game in Charlottesville is going to be is a humdinger is that a good good phrase that's not my word but it is a <laughs> no i've just said from the start people have heard it if you listen to this show that virginia's got things going on and I, i've thought from the get-go that at virginia was a tougher game than virginia tech at home last year based on the hindsight of looking at how virginia tech's year turned out they were not a good football team they had guys purposely trying to lose at the end so they wouldn't go to a bowl i mean that's the state they were in they they wound up going to a bowl Anyway, uh, I want to go back to the defensive conversation, Keith, because you asked Pat Burnham a question about the zone and, and versus man. Uh, would you be a? Do you think they can fix this zone, or do you think we should just say, let's roll the dice and let's play man and let's let's walk the safeties up and and help with the run support and we'll live and die with the guys on an island there, I, and let's go that route. I can fix the zone in two practices. Well, then it's not hard. The problem that Florida State has is they don't recognize that after the third second, three and a half seconds, zone becomes man. You don't keep backpedaling. You don't get space. You go find somebody in an opposite colored jersey and you cover him. And that fixes the zone problem. Now, you will get beat two or three times a year because someone will. Because two guys went to cover the same exactly. guy when they. Yeah. You will have issues, but you won't go 
11 of 20 or whatever it was on third down doing that. Well, I guess my bigger question, and this has been thrown out there a lot, Jeff Cameron's on this train, Bud Elliott, others. I don't know what the perfect defense is when you're playing this offense. Uh, on the one hand, you could say, I don't mean playing Louisiana Monroe's offense. I mean your offense is Kendall Bryles' up-tempo offense. You you don't really want to put a restrictor plate on what Kendall does. Now, you can argue that there's times when you need to slow down, bleed the clock, but basically... Well, you learn to do that in the third and fourth quarter when you're playing with leads. Basically, though, you don't want to put reins on them. You, you, they have to run their offense. So, defensively, uh, it, would it not be better to just sell out? And if you get beat, you get beat, but the ball goes back to the offense, and now they can get back in a rhythm and they score again. Because if you sell out... With the athletes FSU has, I don't think now against Clemson it's different. But I don't think it's going to be a 50-50, you know, you win half the time, lose the half the time. I think you could get to two-thirds or three-quarters of the time you're winning on defense. The other 25%, 33%, well, you know, a guy just scored an 80-yard touchdown on you. And Pat pointed out, and this is true, it's much easier to play run defense in the zone than it is in the man-to-man, particularly on the outside, because if they run off their wide receivers, your corners are going to turn their back to the ball because they have to. They can't see. Your safeties are going to have to run out of there if they've got any over-the-top support. So obviously running zone helps in run defense. But every now and then, and maybe more so than every now and then, taking that chance, um, you know, I would rather get beat one-on-one then get nickeled and dimed on six and eight and ten play drives. Well, that's what I'm saying because that turns into a six or seven minute drive and the defense is gassed and now the offense has yeah. lost any continuity or rhythm. One other thing as we close to go back to we haven't talked much about, but in the second half it's 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 become apparent to me and in listening and, and paying attention that we we might chide and put blame on Kendall uh, Bryles for some of the calls in the second half. But it appears to have been more James Blackman reads. You know, when they go long ball down the right and long ball down the left, as I understand it now, as it's been explained, those were both RPOs. Blackman made the decision to take the ball down the field. So James had a good ball game, but he's got continuing. Uh, maturity and things that he needs well, no to question. do in that, terms of his reads. And it's not all on play calling because, candidly, Florida State doesn't have that many plays. <laughs> you know, it's a very simple offense. But James has got to do a better job, and I'm not I'm not throwing him under the bus or anything. He played a good ball game, but there is room for improvement there, which also, as Pat pointed out, can be immediate, and you do make your biggest games game one to game two. Let's hope that's the case. Let us hope. The season is underway, not the result we wanted to start, and uh, things got interesting in a hurry, right? They did. They did. Credit to Boise, though. I will see if they turn out to be a good football team, but well, they've, the they've, they've, got a good, they've got a good program. I will say, we talked about this, that quarterback got killed in the first half. If it was Francois, he would have been in the injury tent three times and maybe down for the count, and I'm just speaking candidly. I couldn't believe that that didn't affect him as the game went on and he got better because I I really thought, I mean, his helmet kept coming off. Maybe his chin strap was loose, but he was getting hit pretty hard. Youth and the ignorance associated with it sometimes serves you well. Yeah, well, credit credit to them. Good luck to them. And uh, let's hope Florida State starts turning things around this week. Agreed. You're Keith. I'm Tom. As I said last week, try the veal, tip your servers, subscribe to the podcast. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. All in all, it's just a Yeah.